You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Boutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. Now, uh, the title as we go through 1 Samuel chapter 14, the title of our message this morning is Venture in Faith. Venture in Faith. Now, if you were to look the word venture up, you'd see that venture is defined as, as exposing yourself to risk and danger. Exposing yourself to risk and danger. Now, that does not sound good, right? And yet the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. But let me ask you this. How many of you wish that the Bible actually said that we're to walk by sight, we're to walk by fact, not by faith? I mean, how many of you really wish that, that you, you could know for a fact that the odds were actually stacked in your favor before you stepped out to take a risk? But the truth is that a life of, of following God is a life of, of taking risks. It's a life of, of stepping out to the unknown. It's a life of, of, of taking a venture of faith. And this morning, that is exactly what Jonathan, the son of King Saul, is doing here in chapter 14. He's taking a venture in faith. He's, he's exposing himself to risk. So with that, now as we pick up the first 10 verses, we, we, we take a look at Jonathan's venture in faith. Verse 1, it says, <coughs> One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gebeah uh, in, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. And the people who were with them were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing the ephod. And, when the, and the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozeza, and the name of the other was Sinek. And the one crag rose north in front of Michmash and the other south in front of Geba. Now let's pause here. Now let's grab a little bit of context. Remember last week in chapter 13 we, we, saw, that, we saw that Saul had been told to, to do nothing but wait for seven days until Samuel showed up. He told him, don't, don't go and attack the enemy. Don't go and invade the Philistines. Do nothing but wait. We need to wait on the Lord. We need, we need to seek God's counsel, God's direction. And yet Saul could not wait. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore because as he was waiting, meanwhile, his forces were dwindling, right? They, they, they were dropping like flies. We saw last week that his forces went from 3,000 troops down to 600 troops. Now, as we mentioned last week, this could have been a moment for Saul to learn that nothing is impossible with God. It could have been a moment to learn that, that one with God is a majority, uh, now, by the way, that, that phrase, one with God is a majority, I used it last week. Originally, that was actually spoken first by President Andrew Jackson. Now, the, the story of this phrase, one with God is a majority, uh, the story behind it is, is that there was a, a Methodist pastor by the name of Peter Cartwright. And Peter Cartwright, uh, one Sunday morning, is told right before church starts that President Andrew Jackson is going to be in his, in, in his congregation, in attendance. And then he was warned not to say anything controversial, not to say anything out of line. So Cartwright got up and, 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 he, and he announced, and he says, well, it's, it's my understanding that President Andrew Jackson is in our church this morning. And everyone clapped. And then he said these words. He says, he says now I've been warned not to say anything out of line. 
So let me just say this. Let me just say that President Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he doesn't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And everyone was stunned. Their, their jaws just hit the ground. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. But after the service, the president came up and shook his hand. And he said, he said sir, if I had a regimen of men like you, I could whip the world. And it was from that point on that he was quoted saying, one with God is a majority. And last week, Saul could have learned that lesson, but he failed to learn that lesson. But this morning we see that, that, that the lesson that Saul failed to learn, Jonathan not only learned, but learned in spades. Because now we pick the story up in verse 6, and it continues and says, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, <coughs> Come, let us go over to the, to, to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, <coughs> pardon me, do all that's in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, behold, we will cross over the, uh, to the men and we will show ourselves to them. Now, if they say to us, wait until we come to you, well, then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us and, 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 and then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us. Now, you've got to love a story like this. I mean, Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and he's like, you know what? I got a crazy idea. Want to hear it? And he's like, well, yeah, what is it? He goes, hey, let, let's go to the enemy camp, just you and I, and, and take on the whole enemy, the, the, the whole army, just, just, just the two of us. And his armor bearer's like, yeah, let's do it. And Jonathan's like, you know what? If, if God wants to give us the victory, nothing can stop him from giving us the victory. He doesn't need a whole army to do it. I mean, he can, he, he can be just as effective with one as he can with 100. And his armor bearer's like, you know, let's, let's go for it. Now, I don't know what got into Jonathan. I mean, maybe for his quiet time that morning, his devotion time that morning, maybe he was reading from Leviticus 26, verses 7 and 8, where it says, you will chase your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Or maybe he was reading from Deuteronomy 28, 7, that says, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to, to be defeated before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Well, let me ask you, you ever, ever have God do something in your life? Ever have God put something on your heart, give you an idea uh, that, that just feels impossible? Feels like there's just no way that could ever happen. It couldn't happen in a million years. It's just too hard to believe. You know, it's kind of like uh, the prophet Habakkuk. I've shared you with, with this before. You know, when Habakkuk turns to the Lord and says, God, show me what you're doing. Just tell me what you're doing. And God answers and says, Habakkuk, even if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it. And Habakkuk says, yes, I would. Just tell me. I promise I'll believe it. So God tells him, and then Habakkuk says, I can't believe it. <laughs> well, evidently, Jonathan believed it. He clearly believed that nothing was impossible for God, that one with God is a majority. We're reminded in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And evidently, Jonathan had that mindset. And so he steps out. And as we pick it up in verse 11, verses 11 through 23, we see that Jonathan and his armor bearer are fighting, but they're fighting from a position of faith. A position of faith. 
<laughs> verse 11, it continues. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. <coughs> and the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer, and they said, come up to us and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and, and the armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And, and, and the first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as, as it were, a half furrow's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, among the people, and the garrison even of the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Now, this reminds me of another story. <coughs> There's a story of, of, of a group of Arab soldiers, and they hear a voice calling from the other side of the mountain that says, one Jew can whip 25 Arabs. And they thought, well, there's no way we can let this happen. So they get 25 of their best fighting men and they send them over. Well, a few minutes later, they hear the same voice cry out and say, one Jew can whip 50 Arabs. So now they send 50 soldiers over. And then a few minutes later, they hear the same voice crying out saying, one Jew can whip 100 Arabs. They're just about to send 100 of their fighting men over when all of a sudden one lowly Arab who's been beaten up, he's, he's battered, he's bloody, he's bruised, he comes crawling from behind the mountain. He says, don't do it, go back, it's a trap. There's two of them. And evidently, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer. Now, listen, I actually looked this up and in the Hebrew language, the, the name for the armor bearer is pronounced Chuck Norris. It's a true story. And we've all heard these Chuck Norris you know, jokes and the legendary things and, and all the memes, right? Like, like, the one, like this one that says, uh, when, when the Hulk gets angry, he turns into Chuck Norris. <laughs> so evidently, Jonathan and Chuck Norris are out there just you know, kicking some tail. And, and so the point is, is that God gave Jonathan a partner in faith. He gave him a partner in faith. It says basically that as Jonathan would attack him, the armor bearer would finish them off. And so just as, as, as Joshua had Caleb, and just as the Apostle Paul had Barnabas, we now see that Jonathan had the armor bearer. Jonathan didn't need a whole army at his disposal. All he needed was one other person who had the same faith that he had. Just one guy uh, who, who, who had his back. One guy who, who would say, you know what, you're right. I think God's in this. I think this is God. We can do this. Let's go big or let's go home. Somebody who believed like he believed. That's all he needed. But you know, far too often, what happens is oftentimes somebody comes up to us talking like Jonathan was. And they're talking about how excited they are about what God's doing. You know, God's doing this and God's doing that and, and God's this and God's that. And, 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 and rather than, 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 than responding like the armor bearer, rather than responding like, you know what? You're right. Do all that's in your heart to do. You know, I've, I've, I've got you. I've got your back. I'm with you. I believe in this. Instead, some of us, we, we throw a wet blanket on it. And, 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 we, and we respond by, you know, like, that would never work. That's impossible. You know, I mean, I know it's legal and everything, but are you high? You know, are you crazy? I mean, I mean did you even pray about this? I mean, listen, stepping out in faith is one thing, but I mean, I mean you got to be realistic. you got to be pragmatic. And we throw a, a wet blanket. Well, God gave Jonathan a partner in faith. 
And oftentimes it seems that when God is truly sending you to do something, when he's truly calling you, he seldom sends you alone. Now it might be with a team, then again it might be with one. You know, Ecclesiastes 4.9 reminds us that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And oftentimes, the way that we can tell that this is a person that God's partnered us up with, that, that God's called this person alongside of us, is that oftentimes, it'll be a person who's like-minded. That God gave them the, the same heart, the same vision, the same passion that he gave us. Even as we read in Amos 3.3, can two walk together unless they are agreed, unless they are like-minded? So Jonathan had his armor bearer. Now it's interesting that the test that Jonathan uses to determine that this was God's will. You know, he basically says, listen, you know, uh, we're, we'll know that this is God. We'll know that God is, is blessing us. We'll know that God's called us to do this if the Philistines turn and say, hey, climb up here, come up to us. Hey, scale this cliff. And if the cliff doesn't kill you, then we will when you get up here. And Jonathan's like, that'll be a sign from God. Now we're like, wait, what? Because yeah, listen, I mean, quite frankly, can I say to you that that, 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 that plan uh, is, is, is a plan that defies military logic. I mean, that is like military suicide. I mean, think of the whole plan. There's three things. Number one, the first thing is, is, that, is that Jonathan gives up the element of surprise. He says, the first thing we're going to do is we're going we're to announce ourselves. Hey, guys, we came to attack you. So much for the element of surprise. And then number two, he says, listen, uh, he says, if the Philistines, you know, if, 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 if they give up their high ground, if, if they give up their position of strength, their, their military strategic position, if they give that up and come down to us, he said, now, you know, normally speaking, that would be a great thing. I mean, if your enemy gives up the high ground, your enemy gives up the strategic advantage they have, and they come to you, that'd be a good thing. But in this case, we're going to say that's not God. So we're going to leave. And then he goes on at number three. He's like, but if they say, hey, come up here to us. Climb this, this, this cliff. Scale this cliff. Exhaust yourself trying to climb up this thing. And if you survive, then we're going to pick you off. And, and Jonathan's like, that's how we'll know it's God. If, if they keep their high ground, they keep their strategic advantage, they force us to come to them and fight on their turf, that's God. <laughs> now listen, this doesn't make any sense. It's, it's military suicide. You see, the picture is, is, that, is that Jonathan wanted the odds stacked so far against him that quite frankly, the only way they would win was with God. The only way they would win was with God. You see, this battle wasn't won because of Jonathan's skill. It wasn't won because of, of Jonathan's brilliant military scheming. The only way they won was God. There was no way for Jonathan to take the credit for it. It reminds us of 1 Corinthians 1.27. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So now as this battle between Jonathan and his armor bearer and the Philistines is, is breaking out, Saul and his men are watching. And so we see in verse 16, it, it, it continues. The watchmen of Saul and Gabeah of Benjamin looked and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. And then Saul said to the people who were with him, count and see who has gone out from among us. 
And they counted, and behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And so Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went out in that time before the people of Israel. Now, while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied, and they went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow. And there was a very great confusion. <coughs> now, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had, been, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Bet-Aven. <coughs> So the picture, Jonathan, Chuck Norris, taking on all of the Philistines, and Saul and his army, they're watching the whole thing. But what they see in verse 20 is that Philistine sword was against Philistine sword. And there was a very great confusion. And then verse 21, almost as if to explain what you just read, goes on and it says, Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. So here's the picture. Remember, last week we saw that the Philistines had, had 6,000 chariots. They, they, uh, I'm sorry, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and they had so many foot soldiers, you couldn't even count them all. And so Saul was vastly outnumbered, right? We, we mentioned earlier, his troops went from 3,000 down to 600. And so now, with that, not only has his, has his troops dwindled, but we saw in chapter 13 that, that, that many of Saul's men, uh, uh, they, they went into hiding, says they were hiding in caves, and they were hiding in holes. They were hiding in, in, in wells. But they went into hiding, and then on top of that, many of Saul's men also defected to the enemy, meaning they've now joined the Philistine army. As you know, there's people like that in life. There's people who always want to be attached to a winner, and if you're not that winner, they abandon you and go to who they think the winner is. And so now they, they've joined the Philistines. But then all of a sudden something happens. A, a, a switch gets flipped. And now all of a sudden, those who were in hiding come out of hiding and those who had defected to the enemy and are now wearing the, the military uniforms of the Philistines are now attacking the Philistine next to them in the foxhole. And so from a distance watching this, it looks like this is a, a Philistine crime on Philistine. Philistine on Philistine crime. And really, it was, it was the defectors who are now turning because the tide has turned. But what, what changed? What, what flipped the switch? Well, what flipped the switch was faith. They saw Jonathan's faith in action, and now they're inspired. The text uses the word rallied. They were inspired. This reminds us that faith is contagious. Faith inspires but just as one man's faith might be contagious and it might inspire, sometimes it also gets counterfeited. There are those who get inspired. There are others who want what you have and they, and they fake it. They, 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 they want to counterfeit the kind of faith that you have. And that's what we see as we continue now in verses 24 through 46. Saul is counterfeiting Jonathan's faith. 
verse 24, and the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul laid an oath on the people that were laid. It's like, just, just weight them down. Crush them. He, he laid an oath on the people saying, Cursed be the man who eats until the, who, uh, uh, food until the evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people even tasted food. Now, when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping, but no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard his father uh, charge the people with the oath, and so he put the tip of his staff that was in his hand and dipped it into the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes became bright. Then one of the people said, Your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food this day. And the people were faint. And then Jonathan said, My father has troubled the land. See how my eyes have become bright uh, because I have tasted a little of this honey? How much better if the people had been, had been freely eat, had, had the people freely eaten today of the spoil of their enemies that they found? Uh, for, for now, the defeat among the Philistines has not been that great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon, and the people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground, and the people ate them with the blood. Now let me explain. <coughs> if you go back to Leviticus 17, you would see in Leviticus 17 that the Jewish people were commanded not to eat meat with blood in it. Now what that meant was, was Jews were basically commanded that when they, when, they, when they slaughtered an animal to hang it, to drain it of its blood, like many of the hunters today do. But when the pagans ate meat, they didn't, they didn't drain the blood. They would strangle the animal to death to keep the blood in the meat. Why? Because they believed that the animal's spiritual power was in their blood. And so if you ate their blood in the meat, they called it lifeblood, well, then you would harness, you would captivate the animal's spirit and his power for yourself. So it's kind of a pagan practice. And so to avoid paganism, the Jews were commanded to drain the blood out of the meat. And so in this case, they don't do that. And so verse 33, it continues. And it says, and they, and they told Saul, and behold, the, it said, behold, the people are, are, are sinning against the Lord by eating the blood. And he said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with blood. So every one of, of, of the people brought his ox with them that, that they might slaughter them there. And, and, and Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that he had built to the Lord. It's an interesting commentary. Here's Saul. He's, he's, he, he's, he's taking an oath. He's ordering everybody to take a fast. He's quoting scriptures. And now he builds an altar to the Lord. But the text goes out of its way to say, this is the first time he's ever done something like this. He's not normally this spiritual. This is out of his character. Then verse 36 continues, and Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. And the priest said, Let us draw near to God here. So Saul inquired of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Will, will, will you give them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And so Saul said, Come here, all of you leaders of the people, and know and see how the sin has arisen today. For as the Lord lives, who saves Israel, though it be Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among the people who answered him. Then he said to all of Israel, you shall be on one side and I and Jonathan, my son, shall be on the other side. 
And the people said to him, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give the Urim. But if, if the guilt is in your people, Israel, give the Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken. But the people escaped. Then Jonathan said, I'm sorry, then Saul said, cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. <coughs> then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you've done. And Jonathan said to him, I tasted a little honey with the tip of my staff that was in my hand. Here I am, I will die. And Saul said, God do so to me, and more also, you shall surely die, Jonathan. But then the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die, who has, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? Far be it. Uh, for, 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 as, as the Lord lives, there, there shall not be a hair of his head to fall to the ground, for he worked with God this day. So the people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. Then Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to, to their own place. There's a lot there, but basically Saul takes this vow. He forces everybody to, 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 to fast. You know, the idea is that, you know what, if we fast, if we get spiritual, then we can kind of force God's hand, and God's going to give us this victory. So he takes this vow. Now, this has often been called a, a rash vow or a, or a foolish vow, but frankly, I think it was a fake vow. A fake vow. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, now, think about it. Here's Saul. He looks down on the battlefield, and what he sees is he sees how, how Jonathan's faith is inspiring uh, the, the, the troops, how Jonathan's faith is winning the hearts of the people, and it's as if Saul is thinking, you know what? I've got to do something. I've got to inspire the troops with my own act of faith. Because if I don't, they'll start following Jonathan and stop following me. So I've got to come up with my own act of faith, show them how much faith I have, and, and, and win the inspiration of the people back to me. And so he, he, he takes this vow. He, he's quoting scriptures. He builds an altar. The text says it's the first time he's ever done anything like this. He's normally not this spiritual. So you might say that, that, that Jonathan walked by faith, but Saul was faking his faith. It's as if Jonathan's motto was, you know what? With God, we can make it. But Saul's motto was, fake it till you make it. And, 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 and so Jonathan ventured in faith, Saul ventured in futility as he deprives his men with, with the food that they need, the energy that they need, sends them out into the battlefield, weak, starving, and emaciated, and they almost lost because of it. And so the whole picture is, is Jonathan was walking by faith and Saul was faking that kind of faith. And that's why as we pick it up now in verse 47 to the end, we see that, that you and I, we've been called to walk by faith like Jonathan, not walk in the flesh like Saul. Verse 47, when Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all his enemies on every side against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them, and he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. <coughs> now, the sons of Saul were, were Jonathan, Ishvi, Malchishua, and the names of his two daughters were uh, these. The name of his firstborn was Merab, and the name of his younger was Michal. It's pronounced Michal, not Michael. Call me Michal, not Michael. Verse 50, and the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Amihaz, and, and, and the name of, of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. 
Kish uh, was the father of Saul, and Ner was the father of Abner, who was the son of Abiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul, and when Saul saw any strong man or valiant man, he attached him to himself. It's an interesting line, that, that last little line. When he saw any strong man, any valiant man, man he, he attached him to himself. Now, that's how that's rendered in the ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible. However, many English translations render it that, that, that he enlisted them into his army. He, he drafted them into his army. However, I think that the ESV uh, is really capturing the insecurity of Saul's heart. You know, because really, when we read this, it's, it's more than just simply Saul, uh, you know, recruiting the, the strongest and the bravest and the best of the men of Israel to serve in his army. You know, that old motto we used to hear on TV, the few, the proud, the strong, the Marines. Well, the picture here is, is that, is that when, when, whenever Saul would encounter someone who reminded him of Jonathan... Someone who, 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 who uh, would, would inspire his troops. Someone who, who captured the hearts of his people. Whenever Saul encountered someone like that, he would attach himself to them. It's like he was a, a, a glory parasite. He would just kind of leech himself to them and try to steal their glory. Remember last week we saw, you know, Saul takes the credit for Jonathan's victory. And now this morning, Saul sees Jonathan's venture in faith and how that venture in faith inspired the people, captivated the hearts of the people. And it's as if Saul immediately tries to get some of that glory for himself by, by coming up with his own fake act of faith. Taking this vow, forcing everyone to, to take a fast. And, and, and in fact, we, we see this trait as we study his life, lived out in Saul's life over and over and over again, right up into the day that he meets David. And so in many ways, Saul was like a pathological glory stealer. But the problem was that the glory that Saul was stealing wasn't Jonathan's glory. Because if you go back and look at verse 23, verse 23, it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. It wasn't Jonathan's glory that he was stealing. It was God's glory that he was stealing. Which is why one commentator says, what began as a victory and faith in the morning by evening was polluted by the flesh. And so in this passage, we have a contrast between, between Jonathan versus Saul. Jonathan walked by faith. Saul walked in the flesh. Jonathan was, was consumed with giving God the glory, whereas Saul was consumed with stealing God's glory. But God says in Isaiah 42, verse 8, he says, I will not share my glory with anyone else. And so the story of Saul and, and Jonathan reminds us that when we're surrounded by insurmountable odds, we can either handle it like Saul or we can handle it like Jonathan. Like Saul, we can panic we can take matters into our own hands. We can make every decision from a place of insecurity and fear. Or like Jonathan, we can walk by faith. And when the odds are, are, are stacked against us and there's no hope in sight, there's no way out, we can either walk in the flesh like Saul or walk by faith, venture into faith like Jonathan. But here's what the Bible tells us. <coughs> the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 6, verse 2, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
What does that mean when it says that you received Christ Jesus the Lord? Well, when you received Christ, when, 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 when you became born again, when you became a Christian, when you asked Jesus to come into your life, how did you do that? Well, by faith. You didn't see Jesus. You couldn't touch Jesus. You know, it was, it, you, you had to believe. You just had to believe that if you gave your life to him, you had to take a, a, a leap of faith that if you invited him into your life, he would change your life. And the idea is that just as you started in faith, you need to continue in faith. You need to walk in faith. Again, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now listen, walking by sight is that attitude that says, you know what, how can I buy my way out of this problem? It's that attitude that says, you know, how can I fix this? It's that attitude that says, I got myself into this, I need to get myself out of it. That's what it looks like to walk by sight. But walking by faith is the attitude that says, you know what? The only way out of this is God. There is no other way out of this. If he doesn't get me out of this, there's no way out of this. He's my way out. That's walking by faith. And in fact, I think that reminds us of Peter. That time that Peter walked on the water. Remember uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The story starts by saying, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he, while he sent his multitudes away. Now this tells us a couple of things, by the way. Number one, it tells us that, that it was Jesus' will for them to be in that boat. He put them in the boat. Now I point that out because sometimes people will turn and say, you know what, if, 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 if it's God's will, if, if God's in it, then it's going to be smooth sailing and easy streets. Try telling that to the disciples who just got in the boat. Because the very next thing that happens is, is the storm of the century breaks out and, and these seasoned fishermen, these, these veteran sailors who earned their living on, on a boat were suddenly terrified that they were going to lose their lives. But ultimately, it was God's will for them to be in the boat. He put them in the boat. That's number one. Number two, it says that they were going to the other side. They were going to say, it doesn't say that, 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 that he put them in the boat so that they would, so that they would drown and die. It, 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 it says he put them in the boat so that they would get to the other side. Implied is, is a promise. There's a promise attached to this. That the promise is that no matter how bad things get, no matter how bad it seems, you're going to get to the other side. You're going to make it. It was God's will for them to be in there and they were going to get to the other side. But then as, as the story continues, we, we see that the storms rage, the, the, the waves are pounding, their boat is being tossed like, 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 like a rag doll. And it's in that moment that Jesus comes walking out on the water. And of course, Peter sees him and Peter says, says Lord, if it really is you, then command me to, to come out and walk on the water to you. Jesus says, come on out, the water's fine. Peter gets out of the boat and he He's actually walking on water. He's actually doing it. Until he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And he, and he starts to look at the gale force wind and the, and, and, and the pounding waves. And then he has a panic attack and he starts sinking. And then that moment he cries out and says, Lord, save me. And then in that moment, it says in Matthew 14, 31, and immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt so he had faith, but he had little faith. Enough faith to get out of the boat, not enough faith to keep his eyes on Jesus. 
But it tells us in Hebrews 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. When when we're surrounded on all sides by by insurmountable odds like Jonathan was, or when when the storms of life are raging against you and, and the waves are pounding and you're being tossed like a rag doll here and there, in that moment, as, as, as you're about to drown in the seas of life, fix your eyes on Jesus. Or as again, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, walk by faith, not by sight. Get your eyes off of the waves. Get your eyes off of the storm. Get your eyes off of the pursuing enemy and fix your eyes on Jesus. Am I right? So Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the storm. We're not going to drown. We're not going to die. You've promised we'll get to the other side. We thank you that when we're surrounded and there's no way out, the odds are against us, but those are great odds for you. And so, Lord, although we may be outnumbered by our circumstances, one with God is a majority. So we stand with you. We cling to you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.